Sergeant and Mrs. Smith, you are going to love this house. Is that a tub in the kitchen? There's no field manual for finding the right home. But when you do, USAA Homeowners Insurance can help protect it the right way. Restrictions apply. Welcome to the Sunday, July 23rd, Brian Harmon Music Edition of the PFF Forecast. We are doing a little AFC West. But first, we'll have to talk about Brian Harmon cashing at like 120, 125 to 1, as we talked about in our British Open preview. Honestly, wish I had been more bullish on uh, a guy that looks like somehow a still confused, angsty 14-year-old who listens to punk rock. We're going to talk about it all. It's going to be a great podcast. We might even get into a little Burrow and Herbert debate as well. The AFC West is going to be a great podcast. Let's rock. I'm the biggest I'm the biggest loser here amongst what I would say is a podcast full of winners, because um, if there was one player we aligned on about four days ago, it was Brian Harmon, um, who was going off at some ridiculous odds. I, I will say that in him winning, it was probably one of the more boring British Opens for anyone out there that didn't bet Brian Harmon. So I, I guess really this is a PSA bet golf majors <laughs> that's that's the big uh that's the big takeaway judah you made like 10k um how addicted to golf are you at this point yeah i mean it's electric it, the, the sport is absolutely <laughs> electric uh obviously getting out on the course has helped only just to see like how much better these pros are but i mean you win yeah, i won my first tournament and then you win 10k on on this one i'm in the lucky spot where i saw that you guys agreed on Brian Harmon and I was like, all right, I got to go all in. Uh, so I'm really the, the beneficiary here, but I mean, the sports electric, there's no other way to put it. We have a, uh, we have a pool that we do um, with the, the PFF has a fair number of, of golf fans. Um, and we do a little pool. We did it for the U S open. Um, if you listen to our, our podcast on Wednesday, we talked you through the draft. I won't um, regale you with the entirety of my team, but I will say that Brad's team Beat my team by let's take a look at the scoreboard here. Um, Brad's team finished two under par in total across six players. That beat me by 60 strokes. <laughs> 60 strokes. Uh, Brad, you obviously had Brian Harmon. Um, talk me through how you're feeling right now. Yeah, the funny thing is, I took Harmon in the fifth round and Tom Kim in the fourth round, and they yeah. basically won the entire thing for me. Judah and I were talking pre show during the Wednesday show. I was sitting there and I just blanked on John Rahm and took Brooks. I mean, I would have probably would have taken Brooks anywhere. He was obviously a strong contender, but I, I think if I had Rahm on my mind, I would be like, eh, Spaniard playing in the open. Like, I probably would have at least considered it, and then it would have been an absolute bloodbath. But yeah, it's pretty dope that. Like a lot of those late round picks were huge for a bunch of players in the pool because there were obviously some good players in the leaderboard. But you go look at the guys who missed the cut. It's like the first two rounds of our draft, like half the guys didn't even make the cut. <laughs> that, that was exactly what what sunk me. Um, Dustin Johnson uh, and Tony Finau absolutely destroyed me. DJ shot 81 uh, in round two. And the way we do it, we double for players that missed the cut. We double your score so your round one and round two count as round three and round four as well 
Um, so that absolutely killed me, but you're right. I mean, I took like the players that I took that did well were Cam, Cam Young. I took in the fourth round, um, you know, Judah was the only one who got killed by his, uh, his fourth and fifth round picks with, with Gooch and Kirk, um, who both missed the cut, but yeah, I, I have some learning to do. I'm going to go back and watch some film. Maybe, maybe I need to do a little more of my social media research on, on some of my players. I feel like I missed something with Dustin Johnson. I was sitting there. I remember when I was thinking, picking him, I was debating between him and, and Fleetwood. And um, I took DJ cause I was like, you know, Fleetwood's just such an erratic guy. You know, he could go out and, you know, it could be, it, it could be a high number early or something. I feel like Dustin's Dustin's a safe play. Not, not to be the case. Um, let me ask you guys this though. Uh, takeaways from this tournament, anything, I mean, there's no more majors left to go. There obviously are golf tournaments, anything that came out of this, um, start with you, Brad, that you think is useful for us going forward. Yeah, we talked about a little bit pre-show again, where obviously the Lynx courses, you don't need to be super long. I mean, Brian Harmon's five foot seven, 140 pounds soaking wet. But I, I still think it's interesting that a guy like Cam Young, a guy like Rory can just shrink this course so much to where they basically have a wedge in every single time. Um, obviously, they were both outside the top 100 in strokes gained putting, so that's going to sink you. But um, there are some players that I think, you know, going forward, I'll look at a little bit differently, like, I, I, he didn't play great on the weekend, but I think Siwoo Kim's going to win a major. He's also the most electric guy maybe on tour. I don't know if you guys, every time he's on the green, everyone just starts going, woo, and it's awesome. Uh, and I think his partner hated it the entire time, but uh, but I was love. But he just very good ball striker, and, and the putter failed him on the weekend, but he has every piece of his game. It's kind of a random takeaway, but I think he's a really, really good player that, that'll, that'll win for a long time. Yeah. Anything on your end? Uh, I take it from a betting side, and I think it's especially true in golf. It's somewhat true in football, but, like, betting long shots, I think a lot is, like, oh, I don't see Brian Harmon winning. Like, it's just not going to happen kind of until it does. Uh, and, like, meaning if we, if we reset the odds now, like, make it, you know, let's say 80 to 1, just because we, like, oh, he has that major win. So I think when you're taking those long shot bets, like, I bet the same unit I did on, you know, Brian Harmon to win as I did for him to finish top 10. Uh, just being like, if there's value here, there's value here, even if he hasn't won yet. Uh, and I think that's kind of important context. I always remember when betting a long shot, it's like, yeah, it's a long shot for a reason. Uh, and until it hits, it's going to seem kind of crazy. But once you do, you're very happy that you kind of put the, the right unit on that. Play off that really quickly too. The beauty of it, this is why I love betting on golf, is let's say a guy does get a lead like that. And let's say Harmon blew it. I hedged on Rom on Saturday. I like I hedged on I think four guys that finished top fifteen. You know, and obviously into the bankroll a little bit. But if Harmon did collapse, I think I would have still won the tournament with and all four guys I bet on. I checked their pre-tournament odds versus when I bet them, and it was better prices on all four guys. And they're all top ten golfers in the world. So I think that the part of the long shot is a great point, but also you can still just kind of lock in earnings if they get off to a good start and then fizzle, you know, over the weekend. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, my takeaway uh, is this, guys. I would probably feel safer. I mean, I'll ask you guys. Um, your life is on the line. Do you feel more confidence swimming through shark-infested waters against uh, cocaine sharks in the like, uh, you know, whatever uh, Atlantic Ocean down by uh, down by Florida, wherever the cocaine sharks reside, or have Rory McIlroy with an eight foot putt that he needs to make to keep you alive. Which one do you feel more confident in? I'll take my chances in the open seas. Yeah, it's gotta be. <laughs> it's gotta be the answer. I, I would I feel so much more confident against the sharks. I mean, 
Um, not even remotely close. Uh, so that's my takeaway. Um, before we get into the AFC West, speaking of uh, takeaways, we also have giveaways. Gave away three printing press hats. I've got some right here. Shipping more out. We've got, um, this is what they look like. Uh, we're going to give away three more. And the way to enter, it's very simple. You go join the printing press discord, which you have not, uh, if you have not already, you're missing out. Not only do we bet golf, we talk about things live during the, um, during the rounds as well. But if you're betting other things during the summer, like WNBA, a lot of really good sharp bettors that are in there. So it's a good value for you to join anyways, but this will also allow you to win a really cool piece of merch. We're going to get some more merch for the season uh, once we run out of hats, but you join the printing press discord. The link is in the tweets that we send out also in the description uh, of this YouTube video that you're watching, or if you're listening, go to YouTube, check it out. And then what you're going to do is you're going to complete the immaculate grid uh, Brad, what's the URL for that? You're gonna you'll post it. Brad will post it. Yeah, I'll no post it. I'll to... post it. Uh, if you haven't played the Immaculate Grid yet, it is a lot of fun. And by the way, you don't you you can win by doing really well there. But give it a try, no matter what. We will pick some. There'll be some randomness here. Someone pulled out a long snapper uh, in one of theirs that got them a, a hat. Uh, so go have some fun with it. Um, all you have to do is post your submission to enter, and then we'll select uh, from the group and, and give out some more hats. So go do that on the uh, on the Printing Press Discord. Okay, let's get into the AFC West. So we've been going through the divisions here. The AFC West, um, not surprising. The Kansas City Chiefs, minus 165 to win the division. The Chargers, plus 340. The Russell, Hustle, and Bustle Denver Broncos are plus 550. And my Las Vegas Raiders are 12 to 1. So what does that mean about the implied probability of the Chiefs? 62% to win. The Chargers, 23%. The Broncos, 15%. I wonder if that might go up if they had Jokic playing quarterback. And the Raiders are at 8%. So as we start um, with each of these, let's kind of go around the horn. We'll start with you, Brad. Which of these do you think is off by the most? Which one is the 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 price that can be most taken advantage of? I know we kind of fall for this every year, and I say we, not just the three of us, but kind of America's football fanhood at large. But like, there is, I think, some fragility with the Kansas City Chiefs. Look, they should be the heavy favorite. They should be the heavy favorite to win the Super Bowl every year of Patrick Mahomes' career, but. The offensive line, you know, they, they obviously added uh, Juwan Taylor, but their you know, injuries there could be interesting. They have some depth, uh, but it's not anything special. Uh, the defensive line, if they don't get Chris Jones done, is a massive question mark. There's enough fragility that I think you probably could get, a, you know, a decent value on the Chargers, but it, it's hard to not, you know, view the Chiefs as, as the heavy favorite here as, as they are. I'm, I'm kind of torn here, honestly. Uh, between the the Chargers and the Broncos. Uh, I'm going to say the Broncos are the most overvalued. Uh, I think there's, you know, a lot of talk about Sean Payton, Russell Wilson. I don't buy that. We can get into that later. I think what no one's really talking about is the fact that this defense was made last year. Uh, by my metrics, they're the second best defense in the NFL. That's going to regress. So not only does Russell Wilson now have to take this kind of magical leap with Sean Payton, which I'm not buying, but in addition, the defense has to kind of sustain its play if it's going to, you know, Look, if the Broncos are going to look anything like last year, and I don't think that's going to happen at all. Uh, I see this defense regressing. I see a pretty bad offense, and they're being priced like Russell Wilson. It's 2020, uh, and this defense is going to remain elite. I, I just don't see that happening. Kind of on the same page with you guys there. I mean, I think 
you could make an argument, and this is the one that I will kind of make here, that the closeness of the three teams that are not in Kansas City, <laughs> they're pretty close. And the the difference, I think, the, the one difference is that I, I do have more faith in Herbert than I do, obviously, in, in Russell and Jimmy G. But I have a lot of concerns about the formerly San Diego Chargers in, in the secondary. Um, you know, J.C. Jackson was a big investment on their part. He was absolutely horrific last year. Derwin James has been really good, but every other player that plays coverage for them has been pretty much subpar. I mean, they need Asante Samuel Jr. to continue to play really well. One of the challenges with that, though, is that coverage is such a fragile and, and, and unstable metric. I mean, there's a there's a chance that they're in they're in kind of a pit of misery there. Now they have Bosa and Khalil Mack, and I do think Bosa underperformed last year. He was injured a little bit, um, but I I am not going to fall for the San Diego Charger hype. I'll act, so I think that the answer is it's either Kansas City, which is too low. Or the idea that Las Vegas is uh, uh, is also too low and that they have as much of a puncher's chance as, say, the Denver Broncos or even potentially the Chargers with an incredible uh, receiving core. I think, you know, Jimmy G, who I will make the the um, argument, I will die on this hill, that he gets way too much hate. Um, and Max Crosby, who's an incredible pass rusher against some other teams and the Chargers and the Broncos that I think are being a little bit overvalued there. So I'm kind of on the same page with you guys. Um, let's talk about some bets here. So if you're, you know, betting the division, that's not the only way to, to bet these teams in this division. So thinking about other bets that we like, maybe correlated with the kind of thesis that we have about um, these teams, Brad, where do you go? Yeah. So like we said, the division, I think is not super interesting. I have a couple of props. If we don't want to get into props, we can wait, but uh, that's immediately where I go. I think we've talked a ton about the addition uh, of Kellen Moore for this offense, a couple stats that kind of just not just saying that and having a narrative, but uh, Austin Eckler had 13 rushing touchdowns last year. 10 of them were from 10 yards or less. Six of them were from five yards or less. And then Josh Kelly also had two rushing touchdowns of five yards or less. You look in the red zone, uh, Herbert, I think, averaged 4.7 yards per attempt from the 20-yard line down to the five. I think I did it. I didn't want to do it, like, at the goal line. Um, so they were never trying to actually throw it into the end zone. They were just trying to pick up six yards or whatever um, and then have Eckler run it in or, or Josh Kelly run it in or whatever. So I just think you're going to see them actually throwing the ball down in the red area, trying to score touchdowns. You add in a Quentin Johnston. Um, his over-under is 29.5 touchdown passes, which is a pretty high number. Uh, but look, it's Justin Herbert. He had 38 two years ago. He had 31 as rookie season, which is a record. Yes, only 25 last year, but was hurt the whole season, was throwing the ball four yards down the field in Joe Lombardi's offense. And I just think you're going to see him have more opportunities to throw touchdowns when they get down there. They're not going to rely on all these short passes and then letting Eckler just finish up the drive. So, you know, I, I just think it's simply too low of a number. And, and I think they're going to really try to beef up his touchdown passes, you know, when they get down there. I, one of the I was holding on this for a little later, but I'll just bring it up here because it's so incredible. Um, in the NFL last year, Justin Herbert ranked first in percentage of the time that he targeted a running back or fullback. Twenty four percent. So, it, I mean, this is amazing, right? Like you should go to jail if this is what you do with a guy with this much arm talent. I mean, like it. 
if you were to say, okay, let's look at all the quarterbacks in the NFL and which ones do you think should target players from the backfield most? Herbert is right there with Josh Allen, like dead last in that list of players. And yet somehow they have concocted an offense that does this at the highest rate in the NFL. It's flat out criminal. And I think the, the take here, and I, I, I like that way of, of betting it. I really do because it avoids the certainty that is the Los Angeles chargers failing to win enough games or collapsing when they, when you, you know, <laughs> most need them to actually figure it out. Like, you know, that's going to happen about the chargers. So finding a way to bet the narrative of Kellen Moore comes in, isn't an idiot. And the team is really motivated, I think, from a media standpoint and a like culture standpoint to push Herbert up. And we'll talk about this a little bit here. We got into it uh, last week a, a little bit with the Burrow versus Herbert conversation. And Judah will dive into that with us a little bit. But um, I, I really like that narrative, Brad. Judah, what other um, angles do you like here in the uh, AFC? Yeah, I love the Broncos alt-under. Uh, under six and a half, I think get it to 30. Circus probably going to have the best number if you have access to that book. I don't, so I don't have that offhand. Um, I kind of alluded to this earlier. I don't think Russell Wilson is going to be a great fit in the in the Sean Payton system. Uh, I think like, Drew Brees was a most accurate quarterback uh, in the NFL by the incredible margin. Uh, I have the accuracy numbers uh, in front of me from quarterbacks from 2015 uh, on, and he holds like the top three ranks. Russell and this is at 55% accurate throws and then 53 and 53. Russell Wilson, in contrast, even when he was good, right, even in uh, the 2019, 2020 years, we're talking about a 39% accuracy, 43%, 44%, uh, last year, 38%, right? That's a huge difference in executing an offense, which is reliant on short passes uh, and accuracy to, to lead to yards after the catch. Russell Wilson's not that type of quarterback. He's a guy who throws the moon ball uh, downfield. Uh, also, the Broncos don't really have those receivers. Jerry Judy, fine, but Cortland Sutton's kind of a, a get downfield uh, and, and catch the ball type of guy. Same with Tim Patrick. Uh, these are not your, your Michael Thomases of the world uh, who can kind of find the open uh, crevice in space. And I don't trust Wilson Wilson to be able to, to get the ball there. I don't think it's a great fit in the system. And I think it's about kind of setting the rate, uh, the, the base, base rate, the expectation for the Broncos are. This is a team last year that won four games fundamentally were probably a four, one team by most efficiency metrics. They were bottom three in the NFL. Uh, like that's a huge leap to kind of adjust their win total by, by three, four games. In addition to the defensive stuff, which I already talked about, uh, I absolutely love the Broncos alt under playing in a tough division in a tough AFC. I can't get enough of it. It's interesting. You, you bring up the Wilson and breeze comparison. I think it's noteworthy because not only was Breeze remarkably accurate, and and by the way, the the Herbert number that I just pulled is from the the QB annual, the PFF QB annual, which you can now get on PFF.com. It got a full makeover, really cool, some amazing data points, including the accuracy charting that we do, where we chart you know where the ball, the throw location actually ends up, which is incredibly useful in you know thinking about okay, well, how accurate is a quarterback? And you can look at that also by different kind of sections of the field. And what do we know about Russell Wilson? He has never thrown over the middle of the field. This is a place where Drew Brees absolutely ate. I mean, he was so, so good. Um, between 10 and 19 yards down the football field, um, uh, Russell Wilson had over the middle of the field, negative 5.1% accuracy relative to average. So he's 5.1% less accurate 
Um, and those are, you know, throws that are basically on the, the receiver's frame than the average NFL quarterback. That is really hard to do. He's also negative. To, uh, he's, he's worse than average across both the outside left and outside right numbers uh, between 10 and 20 yards down the football field. And that's really concerning because the style of offense, to your point, Judah, is not one where they're just going to drop back and throw the moon ball. And I don't know that he has the receivers do that anyways. So um, it, it is a really good point. And, and I like that. Um, I like that one quite a bit. Um, let, let's get in a little bit to the the Herbert uh, conversation. Um, and maybe in the context of, you know, a Patrick Mahomes, a Joe Burrow, the two guys that um, graded highest in the NFL last year, along with Josh Allen. And you put Herbert in that conversation, I think, based on talent. And many would say based on performance, he's fallen well short of that. Um, you made a nice argument uh, last uh, week, Judah, kind of articulating how this is maybe a little bit skewed. Um, I, I want to start, though, with you, Brad. And how do you kind of compare and rank those those four quarterbacks? I think, obviously, Mahomes at, at the top. But But how do you think about it? And how do you compare and contrast Herbert to those three? So I think we, we often look at the things that a quarterback can control the most. And Herbert does show up better than Burrow, you know, pressure to sack rate. Um, I mean, it's turnover worthy player rate, which should we should caveat. It is the lowest in the NFL in the last two years, but it's also because he's throwing a thousand passes, four yards down the field. But nevertheless, like the things he can control um, are very, very strong. And a lot of the stable metrics, you know, out of a clean pocket, he's very, very good, as is Joe Burrow, of course. Um, and yeah, it's just the physical tools and the physical, physical talent is, is just different where I think Burrow right now might be the best pre-snap process, you know, like knowing where he's going with the football before he even has the ball in his hands. Now that Tom Brady's done, he might be the best in the NFL in that regard. But I just think Mahomes, Allen and Herbert are, are just significantly better athletes. Um, you know, the arm talent, the, uh, the off schedule, the, the off platform throws again, Burrow can do these things, but just not, I think at their level. I would go if you had to rank them, Mahomes, obviously, and I still think the gap from Mahomes to the rest is bigger than people probably give credit for. Um, and then I would say you can argue Burrow and Allen. I lean Allen a little bit, but I would understand a Burrow argument. And then I do put Herbert four, but I think, you know, he could be two by the end of the season, you know, realistically. Judah, the floor is yours. Why don't you take us through your, your argument? Yeah. Um, I'm going to say that the Herbert conversation is also skewed by the fact that he came on as so dominant. Uh, he had such an incredible rookie season. And I'm looking at certain things that uh, are less performance-based and more kind of like the component parts of quarterback play, more of his process, if you will. I'm looking at things like his accuracy rate, the percentage that he throws to open receivers. Uh, I built some of my own metrics that will, that will soon be out uh, on PFF.com, uh, like an on-base percentage for a quarterback and a slugging for quarterback for, for those unfamiliar with baseball. Uh, on base percentage is like your ability to to get on base. It's like a, a single or a double is not counted the same. Uh, slugging the uh, further you go in total bases, going from a, a single to a double, a double to a triple, a triple to a home run will get you more points. In all of these facets, kind of remained level from his rookie season, which started at an incredibly high mark. Like his accuracy rate has not moved from forty five percent in in these metrics, and his on base percentage he hasn't moved. Uh, most quarterbacks, even Patrick Mahomes. There's a, there's a constant curve where your accuracy, your percentage of uh, throws to open receivers as opposed to tight windows. Uh, the open receivers goes up, the tight windows goes down. Uh, that's true for basically every single quarterback in the NFL, except for Justin Herbert. And he kind of started at this like ridiculous peak that is uh, completely uncharted territory for quarterbacks. Bruno, on the other hand, 
kind of took a regular development curve. He wasn't so accurate his first year. He was throwing to fewer open receivers, more tight windows, and each year he's gotten better and better and better. So when we talk about Herbert now, uh, it's kind of like, well, we have three years of him being amazing. Change. The thing with Burrow is 2020 conversation is kind of irrelevant because that's not the, the sample that we care about. The, the sample that we care about is his progression, which is probably, you know, most closely resembles 2022. And that's a guy who's playing at the same level of Herbert and all of these intangibles. Uh, in addition to all the other things we mentioned last week about uh, kind of his willingness and knowledge of his offense uh, and receivers. How does this all fit in with Herbert? It's the Kellen Moore conversation is super interesting. This I would imagine is going to be uh, the best offense he's been in, but I'm not sure I agree with you, George, on the the point about checkdowns. I think Herbert is a little bit responsible for that. He takes a mm-hmm. lot of checkdowns in spots where a guy like Mahomes or Allen would try and you know engineer throws. Uh, I think Herbert's a little kind of timid in that way, and that shows up in this metric. You know, he's uh, his slugging percentage is very low, his on base percentage is very high. That's not. true true of, of Burrow. How will that change in Kellenmore's system? That's an obvious question. They're talking about throwing the ball down the field. Will they do it? I have no idea. Uh, I don't really know where to put him. I'd uh, I'd have him tied, I would say, at, at third. I know that's a little bit of a cop-out, but it's so system-dependent. Uh, and I think mm-hmm. what makes Mahomes and Allen so special is that they can win in every single facet of, of the game. Herbert's not going to you know, scramble out of an of a obvious sack opportunity and Kind of, kind of find Kelsey on a broken play. That's not his game. Uh, those guys are more system independent because they can just create for themselves. Uh, in that way, I think it, and then I know it's the cop out answer, uh, but I think we'll really uh, wait and see. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and I alluded to this, I think, um, last time we spoke, but but this is from Timo. Uh, I, I think I said this stat before, but this is quarterback and situation. Uh, ranked by EPA per play since 2021. Patrick Mahomes, regardless of who he's playing with, is top of the list, 0.23. Justin Herbert, with Keenan Allen and Mike Williams on the field, is in second at 0.20. Josh Allen, when Diggs and Davis are on the field, uh, when they're playing, 0.18. Matt Stafford, 0.15. Tua, 0.14. Dak Prescott, 0.13. Joe Burrow, with Chase and Higgins on the field, 0.13. And this paints obviously a very interesting picture where you you think about Herbert and the number of injuries that he, not only he has suffered, but that he has dealt with from a receiving standpoint. And so I, I do think that it's impossible. I will agree with you, Judah, and and I think it's actually impossible to to have a fair and nuanced discussion about these two players, because if you're looking at performance overall, I think it's very very hard to. Um, to concoct a narrative where Justin Herbert is better than Joe Burrow. But when you kind of t- try and piece some things together, you know, when you look at when both receivers are on the field, you can construct a, a narrative where, yeah, he is on that same, that same playing field. The, the challenge for me, I think is what you talked about, Brad, which is the ability for Joe Burrow. And I think Burrow and Mahomes are the two that do this the best. And you can find these data points in the, the PFF QB annual as well. You know, how does a quarterback perform when he's blitzed? How does a quarterback perform when the defense is trying to do some things to get the quarterback kind of out of their comfort zone? And this is where Burrow continues to shine. He had the highest PFF passing grade against the blitz last year. He, his, his, he brought his uh, time to throw down below 2.5 seconds last year. 
Um, he was first in the NFL when working out of no play action. Um, he was first in the NFL when um, he was he was facing single high. He was fifth in the NFL when facing two high. Like the guy was just so malleable. And obviously it helps having Chase and, and Higgins. I'm not saying that uh, Herbert couldn't do that, but simply that Herbert hasn't done that yet. He performed uh, not very well against the Blitz last year. 64.5 PFF passing grade against the Blitz last year, which was just 21st, uh, was 18th against two high. So I think there are a lot of things to Herbert's game. And the question is, is this because Joe Lombardi has you know, no idea what a modern NFL offense should look like? Is this because Keenan Allen and Mike Williams can't stay on the field? Or is this because Herbert doesn't get as much out of his um, you know, rocket and arm and, and physical tools as he possibly could? So I think the, the proper tiering of this um, is Mahomes one, and then those three guys in a tier uh, of, of their own, and I would say right now you give Burrow the slight edge and right behind him, Allen, and then, you know, behind him, Herbert. But, you know, to say that that's for sure how they're going to end up this year, I think you're just kind of, you know, ignoring the simple fact that that context changes. And um, the point of doing these rankings is not to say, hey, this is exactly how it's going to end up next year. But this is how I'd have them based on their prior performance. Um, and given the talent that each of these guys have, it's, you know, very easy to, to see them uh, ending up in a different order next year. I think with the exception of Mahomes at number one, it would be very hard for me to, to see him not ending up at, uh, at number one. That was a long diatribe. You guys didn't sign up, so I apologize. Um, Brad, a question for you kind of around the, the Chiefs, because we got yelled at for not talking about the Steelers, so I don't want to not talk about the Chiefs. People will get mad. Um, how, how fragile do you think they are? I mean, it, you mentioned this kind of at the, the beginning. It feels to me like they've become a lot less fragile over the last couple of years where I might have said, you know, if, if Kelsey gets hurt or if if Hill gets hurt, obviously if home gets hurt, they're they're kind of screwed. But how how fragile or lack thereof do you think this team is? They certainly have. I think it's the smartest thing they've done is to, you know, move on from expensive players to build out depth. Their linebacker core might be the best in the NFL. But for me, it comes down to like the defensive line. If they don't, I mean, they're going to get Chris Jones done. But like, you know, sophomore and rookie edges. Yeah, Frank Clark is obviously not a phenomenal player, but he's a solid player. Um, you know, the secondary is pretty good as well. But it's just I don't know if Kelsey does go down like Kadarius Tony's hurt again as of today after trying to shag a punt in practice. Rasheed Rice was throwing up on the field at his first practice. Sky Moore is Sky Moore. Like, I don't know. I think there is some fragility there. I think Mahomes obviously makes up for it to a great degree. Um, and they do have depth. I, I just the question, honestly, a better way to phrase it is just like, how much can Mahomes mask? And I think right now the answer is more than anyone by an order of magnitudes. I come back. I'm curious your take here, Judah. I think they are still pretty fragile. The We've talked about this a little bit. I feel that Kelsey is a wide receiver one, right? He is a player that is so, so good at what he does. He lines up in the slot a ton. I mean, they even line him up out wide. And that is, it's like a black hole, right? Where like you have to always game plan against him. And so I think that we're, we give Mahomes a lot of credit, and rightfully so. But I don't want to give him so much credit in saying that, man, he has no receivers and manages to, to do these amazing things. That's not entirely true. And I want to make a comparison. I think, obviously, Mahomes has so much more physical talent than Tom Brady did. But when Tom Brady 
went when all of a sudden Gronk disappeared, right? And he had no receiving talent. Edelman was always banged up. He looked awful. Remember? And I mean, that that last game against the Titans where his last throw was Logan Ryan picks him off, pick six, and then he's going to the Bucks. And it's like, does Brady still have it? I'm not saying that I want to see like Mahomes without Kelsey, but I do think they're fragile to the extent where if, if Kelsey is not there, I would be, I would be concerned, right. With a team that you feel like it's impossible to be concerned about. Where do you land on that Judah? Yeah. Uh, I think I'm with you, uh, George. And also we had kind of an example of this in the ASU championship game last year, where like at a certain point, even with Kelsey healthy, when the receivers got down to, you know, I don't even know who was playing. It was complete no-name backups. Uh, I'm trying to remember. I'm a little disappointed. I know, like Demar- Demarcus Robinson wasn't there. I'm like trying to think. Yeah, anyway, all the classic not, Chiefs yeah. guys weren't even there. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, like, they couldn't move the ball. Granted, Mahomes was a little bit hurt. He's not immune. We've also seen that with the offensive line in the in the Super Bowl against Tampa Bay. He's not immune to everything going awry. But that's honestly not the argument I'd make for the Chiefs and their fragility. They've won a ton of one-score games. And that's not to say that they don't have an inherent advantage. Like, they do. With Mahomes, they're going to be at an advantage in one-score games. And this is not to say, like, oh, they're going to – they're fragile. They're going to win eight games. But they might not win 13. Last year, they had uh, this third-most one-score wins behind the the Giants and Vikings. They won seven games by one score. This has been a a theme for years now where they just can't – you know, they can't cover six and a half. That's what we always say. Uh, Hmm. Let teams hang around games. At some point, one of these years – I think they'll go 10 and seven because, you know, they'll go, you know, four and eight in one score games because some fluky thing's going to happen. You know, Mahomes is going to throw that interception like he did against Buffalo. And they might not win 14 games. That is very possible. There's so much randomness uh, in one score games. And yes, it's Mahomes. And yes, he has a better chance. But they're fragile and they're not beating teams by 10, 14 like the Eagles were last year. Uh, there's inherent fragility there. Okay. So, uh... We'll we'll tee this one up. We're gonna come back from uh, my award winning um, ad read and kind of talk about the okay. What's the narrative that gives you a different team winning this division than the um, than the Kansas City Chiefs? But before we do, uh, you don't want to deal with fragility on your fantasy team, and that is why Best Ball is a great place to invest some of your hard earned dollars. And the reason for that is we draft a team, and then if a player gets hurt, he doesn't play. The guys that accumulate the most points start and count for your team every single week. So you don't have to worry about ads, drops, trades, and that whole bunch of baloney. Go draft at DraftKings and get a chance to win a million-dollar top prize. Ten million total dollars in guaranteed cash prizes are up for grabs with the best ball DraftKings uh, championship. I'm blanking on the actual name of it, um, but that's because uh, I am uh, – there it is. DraftKings Best Ball Millionaire Contest. Slight little hookup, hiccup, but like uh, Brian Harmon, I rebound with a birdie. $1 million top prize, as I mentioned. And here's the best thing. Use promo code PFF when you sign up and you will get your first entry fee back in DraftKings dollars. So you get a $10 entry fee, you get 10 DK dollars back, and then you can use that to uh, bet on some of the bets that we're talking about here. See DraftKings.com or download the app to enter. This ends on 8923. Of course, 1-800-GAMBLER, one per customer, opt-in required. If you have a gambling problem, make sure you call that number. All right. The narrative that uh, you guys like most, where the Chiefs do not win this division. Brad, we'll start with you. 
Yeah, it is uh, kind of regression, all the things we talked about for other teams. And it's still the Chargers for me. And I think it's, hey, they're, they're not going to be, you know, bottom five in uh, war-adjusted injury, whatever whatever whale stands for. You can you can help me, Judah. Um, you know, they're not going to be bottom of the league there. They did change their sports science and nutrition people. Maybe that has an impact. Who really knows? I know there's some randomness there. But, you know, you don't lose Rashawn Slater and Joey Bosa for and Keenan Allen for half the season. Um, And then... I think it's, you know, on offense, all those guys do stay healthy. I'll tie this into a bet, uh, but but that is the narrative, and I'll tie it into a bet. Keenan Allen's over-under yards 875. He had 700 yards from week 11 to 18 alone last year. Had an 85 receiving grade. Like, I think people think he's washed because his hamstrings kind of give him issues. When he does play, he's still awesome. Um, so, yeah, it's just health. And, and then, you know, I agree with you a thousand percent of the Broncos, like, you lose Draymond Jones, you lose Bradley Chubb. I think Damari Mathis is your number two corner right now. Like, there's a lot of question marks there. You would just have, I don't know, J.C. Jackson remembers how to play football, and Derwin James stays healthy, and Joey Bosa and Max stay healthy. Like, the pieces are there. It's just just getting a a strong outcome, you know, in, in a lot of different ways so you then have a tail and maybe win, you know, 13 games in L.A. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's so far-fetched. I actually like LA as, as value in this division. Uh, I was debating saying that before. I took the Broncos. I think everything we said about the Chargers last offseason just apply to this offseason to, to this offseason when there was a ton of hype. But I actually think there are more reasons to be optimistic uh, rather than, than fewer. Uh, first off, I think adding Quentin Johnson to the mix is enormous. They need another guy uh, who can separate. Yes, it's some projection. Rookie wide receivers have been good. Uh, they can They can kind of jump onto the scene in year one. Uh, I also think a lot of the narrative here is about Brandon Staley and will we see the Staley of year one or year two. I'm I'm willing to believe he's going to be much more aggressive uh, in year one than year two, knowing his job is on the line. And actually, the thing he thought would save him from the media actually didn't didn't help at all. Uh, and I think there is some talent on this defense. I think Michael Carter, he uh, projects very, very well in a lot of separation metrics, uh, and especially in zone coverage, he, he pops out. I think if they give him more snaps, uh, you know, rather than JC Jackson or uh, Taylor uh, in the in the slot, just your Taylor, uh, that that can uh, help him out. But I think if Staley's defense uh, can kind of stick to its limit explosive plays, uh, generate a pass rush, and Herbert with Kellen Moore throws the ball downfield, uh, everything everyone's making fun of Joe Lombardi for, if it all comes together, like would it shock anyone? Justin Herbert wins an MVP? Of course not. And I don't even think that's so far-fetched. As much as I have tried, um, and I have tried, you know this, uh, to convince myself that it is the Las Vegas Raiders, I, I just can't find a narrative for Jimmy G. One of the data points in the in the QB annual that you'll find is most yards gained on zero-graded throws. So for those of you that don't know, we grade every single throw. We grade every player on every play. But uh, in addition, we um, grade every single throw. and the zero graded throws are what's kind of expected. So like the idea is, you know, an average quarterback is just making an average throw and he does it averagely. Okay, great. Jimmy G made more hay on those throws than any other player. And what does that tell you? That tells you that the scheme was getting guys open. He was putting the ball where it needed to be, but those guys were wide open getting yards after the catch. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen for the, uh, for the Raiders this year. So as much as I want to, uh, it's very, very hard looking at that defense, looking at the, lack of an offensive line especially on the interior um and just knowing that jimmy g is is very fragile himself coming off an injury so uh, i think you're you guys are right and and here's the the comparison that i would make 
Dak Prescott with Kellen Moore has been a very, very productive quarterback. The big difference and the, the question mark that I have is Dak Prescott has always killed blitz. He's been very, very good before, you know, pre-snap. He is maybe as good as, you know, uh, anyone out there, certainly, you know, in, in that same tier as, as Burrow. Is Kellen Moore going to help Justin Herbert do that? And if he does, I think that'll be very, very interesting. I think that's really the piece to his game, in addition to obviously throwing the ball downfield to, to receivers who are um, talented, such as the receivers that he has. And I like that MVP bet. I really think that's a good one, especially because it doesn't require them to be successful in the playoffs, which I don't have a ton of faith in, in the Chargers doing. But there's a lot of room for opportunity because you throw the ball 6.9 yards on average down the football field. That's his average depth of target. People have made fun of how much uh, Patrick Mahomes throws short. Mahomes still throws it more than a half yard further down the field on average, which is insane, right? And you think about the different weapons that that Herbert has at his disposal. I mean, that's just absolute bananas um, that, that he's only throwing at 6.9 yards downfield. I mean, that is like legitimately like Alex Smith territory, um, which is which is honestly embarrassing. So I like that. What what are the best odds that you found for Herbert MVP, uh, Judah? Ooh, it's been a while since I since I looked. I want to say I saw a twelve to one. While you're looking real quick, just to help you, George, on that a data point to back up your thing, you look at last year, uh, so 2021, not 2022, Herbert was ninth in passing grade against the Blitz, and 2020 and 2021 combined is 11th. So um, still not amazing, but we know it's not a stable metric, and I think not only the Kellen Moore, but, and again, I know we're kind of like making all this perfect scenario, but you get a Rashawn Slater back. You have Herbert not getting rid of the ball because he's has broken ribs, and I think you can talk yourself into, all right, he'll be top 10 against the Blitz. Blitz and, and obviously phenomenal in a clean pocket. Yeah, he's, he's 15 to one right now on, on DraftKings. And I think, you know, I love the, I, I think what we've done is we've consolidated a few chargers uh, kind of outcomes that we like that are different than them winning the division. But certainly if they win the division, I think all of these have a really good chance of, of hitting. Um, I, Herbert, I see it on DraftKings at 15 to one to win MVP. Um, you know, being in LA, I think the media plays a really big role in in this, right? Herbert is a guy that the media likes. The NFL has a media hub in Los Angeles. They want teams in Los Angeles to be good. There is going to be incentive to push the Herbert narrative. People are going to be a little tired of the Mahomes being so ridiculously good. Josh Allen playing in a really, really tough division. Joe Burrow playing in a really, really tough division. Um and so I really do like that um, that narrative. Obviously, you have the touchdown. What, what was the touchdown over under for? Um... Eight and a half, uh, which he's gone yeah. over two of his first three seasons. And also to your MVP point, he had a great rookie year, but Justin Jefferson probably should have won that award, and they gave it to yeah. the quarterback in LA. So, yeah, yeah. I'd even add. And, and... Go ahead. Yeah, I want to throw on more, and that's Coach of the Year, Brandon Staley, at twenty-five to one. Uh, on this same theme of uh, narratives and LA, like if this team kind of edges the chiefs out uh, probably means they're winning, you know, 12, 13, 14 games, uh, which is well exceeding their, their win total, which is often how this award is based off. Uh, I can totally see the media making the case. Like we'll get Brandon Staley, the, you know, most talked about coach after his first two seasons, finally coming through toppling the, the Super Bowl champion chiefs at 25 to one. I can definitely see that happening. Uh, I like it a lot. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, if you want to go really, you know, if you're trying to take our Brian Harmon bet and um, 
you know, <laughs> duplicate that. Keenan Allen is is uh, 130 to one offensive player of the year, um, which uh, obviously you've got to have a lot of things go right there. But you know, it is a good point around how productive he's been when he's been on the field. The addition of Quentin Johnson will help him as well. Um, Mike Williams, the guy that has been also on and off the field a lot. So, you know, that it, it, when Allen was on the field, but Williams was off, there was obviously a ton of focus on only Allen. So I, I think it gives him more kind of flexibility in terms of, of being able to kind of take advantage of, of offenses. He, he's a guy that would put up gaudy, I think, reception numbers. Um, and you think about as well what Kellen Moore did with CeeDee Lamb, you know, in the slot. I think he'll do something very similar with Keenan Allen, who's been dominant uh, in the slot over his time at in, in Los Angeles. Um, any other bets that we'd like for the AFC West, fellas? I would just say real quick, to, uh, tied to yours, if, you, if you're afraid of doing Offensive Player of the Year because of quarterbacks and whatever, Keenan Allen is 60-1 to 1 to just lead the NFL in receiving yards. And again, like I get they've added pieces, but Herbert had 4,700 passing yards last year, 5,000 year before that. Even if Keenan Allen just got 20% of like his lowest, you know, he's still over 1,000 yards, uh, you know, or close to it. Um, and I think he should have a higher target share. He certainly did when he played, you know, down the stretch last year. And it's a, it's a good point. Uh, Jude, anything else for you? Yeah, I'm going to, I'm looking at the Devonte Adams under receiving yards. Um, I think the best line I found was 1325 on Caesars. That's a huge total. Uh, I think it's kind of to your point about Jimmy G, uh, that this is a guy who kind of takes what's there, uh, not making any spectacular throws. Uh, and I don't see this passing offense being particularly productive. Uh, but Devonte Adams is kind of, on the decline uh, as much as that, that pains me to say as a, as a fan of his uh, he's 31 years old. His separation numbers have gone down pretty drastically uh, each of the past bunch of seasons, uh, the target competition, uh, they signed Jacoby Myers. They have Hunter Renfro back. This is a team last year that was trotting out Mac Collins as the wide receiver two for most of the season. Uh, I don't think he's going to earn the same target share. Uh, I do think the, the targets coming from Jimmy Garoppolo are less valuable. I wouldn't be shocked if this team kind of tanks. Uh, 13.25 is a huge number, uh, and I, I'll take the under there. I, I refuse to fade Jimmy G, but I think that's a very compelling argument, and uh, I would uh, I would be on that if I didn't have a moral obligation not to disparage the name of Jimmy, Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, all right, that was our, our podcast. We'll be back on Wednesday evening. Um, we have finished now the AFC, right? So we are on to the NFC. Um, we will start in the East. It'll be a great division to talk about, obviously, with the Eagles, the Cowboys, the um, Gigantes, and the newly reformed Washington football team. Uh, can't wait to dive into all of that. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, so as a reminder, go join the printing press discord, get yourself a, a printing press hat, enjoy the rest of your Sunday and start your week. And we will see you all on Wednesday night. Peace.